Hallelujah. Hey, that's a that's a word that most Baptists today don't don't hear spoken often. That one and Amen, you know. Got a lot of words we need to forget, but there's some words we need to remember. Hallelujah is one of them. And Amen is one of them. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, chapter number one. The series in which I am beginning today, I have entitled The Gospel of Jonah. The Gospel of Jonah. And I want to read for your hearing, beginning with verse 1 of that first chapter. And I think it would be well for us to read all of those verses. Verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish, So he paid the fare thereof, and he went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. There was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried, Every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Now he registered as a passenger on that boat as Jonah, the son of Amittai. But here the ship's captain, the ship's captain addresses him as, O sleeper. Now it's interesting when you look at the Hebrew beginning of that word. It is a little word, R-A-D-A-M, radam. And that's the word that was used to address Jonah. O sleeper. By the way, you also might be interested in knowing one of the meanings of that word is deadhead. Yeah. Hello, deadhead. I think that's a marvelous thing. Because that's what he was. He was really asleep when he went on that ship and he went to sleep again in that ship. They said, everyone to his fellow, come let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then they said unto him, tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation? Whence comest thou? What is your country? Of what people are you? He said unto them, I am an Hebrew, 
And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea was wrought, and it was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to land. And uh, they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, Lord, we beseech thee, let not, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. Now let me just pause long enough to say, these sailors weren't a bunch of dumbbells. They knew about the sovereignty of God. And they said, this, this storm, this comes from the Lord. God, God's the one sends storms around here. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The first of our studies will be introductory. You have to know a little bit about the man Jonah, who he was, where he came from, what he was about, and what the book is all about. It's necessary to know some of the historical background of a judgment, of a subject, and who the writer is to best appreciate what is written? Who is Jonah? Where did he come from? When did he live? What was the purpose of the book? You notice the sailors asked basically the same thing in verse number 8. They said unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? What do you do? Where did you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? Now, dear friend, I do believe you'll get more out of this series of sermons if you'll participate in it. By participation, I mean I don't want you just to sit there and listen with your ears. I want you to follow along in the Word of God and see if what I'm saying to you and what I'm preaching to you is scriptural or not. Now, the two books, Genesis and Jonah, the book of Genesis and the book of Jonah, are constantly assaulted. These two books are ridiculed by the devil's crowd, perhaps more than any other books in the Bible, for two reasons. Number one, the book of Genesis is the foundation book of the Bible. And if you can destroy the foundation, you've destroyed the Word of God. The judgments you find in the book of Genesis like the flood, like the fire destroying Sodom and Gomorrah and the Red Sea, 
There are so many people that laugh and scoff at that and say, well, that never really happened. They are libeling assault against the book of Genesis. And then comes the book of Jonah. Why don't people like the book of Jonah? It is the clearest book in the Old Testament which depicts the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The three basic attacks against Jonah. There are many of them, but I would like to just try to restrict it to three basic ones. There are attacks against Jonah that come from the infidel. He calls the book a myth. He calls it a fable. It's an interesting story. This is called mythical interpretation. Those who believe that type of philosophy, my dear friends, believe the Bible is a myth. They think it's just another fish story. They rate it with Aesop's fables and Mother Goose and Cinderella and Snow White. There's a second assault that comes from a group of people known as modernists. A modernist accepts the fact that it is the Bible, but interprets it allegorically and figuratively. These people do not believe the fish really swallowed Jonah, but rather say the fish represents the Assyrian captivity and Jonah represents Israel taken into captivity. That's what the modernist gets out of the book of Jonah. But surprisingly, as it may be, there is an assault that comes from the fundamentalist. That's given over to rational interpretation. I interpret it as I understand it. Well, sometimes you're never going to understand some of the things you read in the Bible. But nonetheless, this is the most subtle attack of all. The fundamentalist tries to prove that a fish could actually swallow a man. And if you can just believe that and really prove that, you remove the obstacle of the book of Jonah, that that there's a fish that could actually swallow a man. This attack expects the literal account and accepts it, but tries to explain it by natural reasoning. We do not need to prove the Bible. We do not need to prove the Bible. If God said it, that is sufficient proof. We must believe it if it said that Jonah swallowed the fish. We must believe it even if he said a menace swallowed a man. If God says it, I believe it. Somebody said God said it, I believe it, and that settled it. No, it's already settled before you ever believe it. It doesn't have to agree with you. You have to agree with it. Jonah is fact. Not fiction. If I were to say to you this morning that the Virgin Mary was fact and not fiction, you'd say absolutely right. That's right. But there are many, many people who do believe the book of Jonah is just fiction and not fact. It is verified in Matthew chapter number 12. Keep your marker at Jonah. Go to the New Testament, first book in the Bible, Matthew chapter number 12. Verses 38 through 41. Matthew 12, verses 38 through 
41. Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him, that is, they answered Christ, Master, we would seek a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. But there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jesus Christ believed that Jonah was a real person, that he was a prophet. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, and may I say just interjecting this, it's the only place I know where the fish was called a whale. Otherwise, it's called a great fish. comes from a Greek word, keton, meaning huge fish. And I imagine the translators thought about the biggest thing that comes in that category would be a whale. And so, but this is the only place you find that. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be in three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment, and this generation, and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. You also find it, and we'll come back to that in Matthew 12 in a moment, one other place in the Old Testament in Second Kings, and I do find it necessary that we take time out to include this. In First Kings chapter number 14, First Kings chapter number 14, beginning with verse number 21. Maybe it was Second Kings, and it is. One preacher's preaching on John. He called it one-eyed John, two-eyed John, three-eyed John. Well, we got Second Kings here, all right. Second Kings chapter 14. Look at it. Good. Verse 21. All the people of Judah took Azariah. Now, you need to know that some mothers named their children with two different names. Azariah was also named Uzziah. And he's the Uzziah you read about in the book of Isaiah when Isaiah was gone into the temple of, of God there. All the people of Judah took Azariah, which was 16 years old, and that's exactly how old he was when he became king over Judah. And he was made the king instead of his father Amaziah. He built Elath. He restored it to Judah. After that, the king slept with his fathers. Finally, Uzziah died. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria and reigned 40 and one years. And in verse 24, he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He's one of the worst kings there ever was. He departed not from all the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. But the key verse is verse 25. He restored the coast of Israel from the entering in of Hamath under the sea of, of the plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, 
the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was in Gath-Hefer. Jonah lived during a period of about 782 to 743 B.C. He was born about four miles north of Nazareth. And if you'll notice these time-related incidents, they're very important. Uzziah was king over Judah. That's verses 21 and 22 in the reference of 2 Kings we just read. And then Jeremiah 2 was king over Israel in verses 23 and 24. Now just listen. Samaria fell to the Assyrians under Shalmaneser in 722 B.C. And it was in that general time period that Jonah enters into the picture. Sargon was the son of Shalmaneser. Sennacherib was the son of Sargon. Sennacherib attacked Jerusalem in 705 B.C. God sent an angel out and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. You've read that enough. Uh, before in your Bible. The book of Jonah is fact, not just fiction. Jonah is verified as historical in the Apocrypha. Of all things, the Apocrypha are so-called the lost books of the Bible. Well, they're not the lost books of the Bible. They're books that were written by men and some folks wanted to inspire them, but they were not ever canonized whatsoever. But did you know in the books of the Apocrypha, There are two of them that carry Jonah's name in their uh, representation. The book of Tobit and the book of Maccabeus. Both say Jonah was a real person. Jonah is verified as historical by Josephus, the historian. Who in the world was Josephus? He was a historian who lived about the same time of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and gives such valuable information about things he knew that happened firsthand in those days when Christ was introduced as the Savior of the world. And the book of Jonah was held by Christians and Jews alike until the early 1800s. Now that's after the birth of Christ, when the figurative interpretation was offered. This business about it doesn't mean what it says. They didn't talk about that until the early 1800s. Jonah is the Old Testament sign verifying a New Testament Savior. In the Old Testament, my dear friends, it projected one thing after another that the Messiah would one day come. But he did not come until the days of the New Testament. And so Jonah is that Old Testament sign. The Pharisees show us a sign. We'll believe you're the Messiah. You show us a sign. He said, all right, as Jonah was, so will I. The Pharisees in Matthew asked our Lord for a sign, and Christ gave them the sign of Jonah. Jonah was unique. No one ever experienced what Jonah did. I mean, I've talked to a lot of fishermen before. And I found out that uh, not all of them are liars, but they have a tendency to lie after the fishing's done before that rather than before the fishing starts. But, but I never heard a fisherman say, you know what? That fish I, I caught, he was so big, he pulled me down his throat and swallowed me up. I, I just never have heard that before. No one ever experienced what Jonah, he's unique. You can't read your Bible without seeing the uniqueness of Jonah. 
And Jesus Christ was unique. No one ever died and raised himself from the dead like Jesus Christ did. Jonah has to be historical. And I told you a moment ago we would look again at Matthew chapter number 12. In Matthew chapter number 12. Verses 39 through 41. He answered and said unto them, An evil and an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. I want you to notice the word is so plain here. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly. How long was he in the whale's belly? Three days and three nights. So shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. How long was Christ in the heart of the earth? Three days and three nights. As Jonah, so Christ. When you look at Jonah, you're going to see Christ. The gospel of Jonah. If Jonah was figurative, so is Jesus Christ. Christ. If Jonah is a fable, so is Jesus Christ. To deny that Jonah was swallowed by a big fish is to deny the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the picture Christ gave. And to deny Jonah spit up is to deny the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The purpose of the book is to set forth and to show forth the death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God. It could well be called gospel according to Jonah. (laughs) The gospel according to Jonah. One must look for Jesus Christ in Jonah to get the meaning of the book. Never study the book of Jonah without keeping Christ in mind because it projects who he is and what he came to do. You'll find the same true about the book of Revelation. People today make a mistake when they study the book of Revelation and they come out and say, well, I want to know who the Antichrist is. And I want to know what the four-headed beast looks like. And I will... No, purpose of Revelation is to reveal who Jesus Christ is. He's the person of Revelation. He's the person of the book of Jonah. That's why the book of Jonah is so very important. Let me give you a quick outline of the book. A quick outline of the book. There are four chapters in Jonah. We could spend as much as nine weeks in it, okay? I'm just telling you ahead of time. Chapter number one, you see Jonah's disobedience running from God. In chapter number two, you hear Jonah's prayer. He's running to God. In chapter number 3, you see Jonah complaining, but yet preaching, he's running with God. And in chapter number 4, you see Jonah's complaining, he ran ahead of God. The man Jonah, his name, Jonah ben Amittai. Jonah, the son of Amittai. His name means dove. It's amazing that many of the mothers named their children because of the meaning of the name, what it stood for, what it was for. And so Jonah was given the name Dove. 
dove, D-O-V-E. The dove is a symbol of peace and harmlessness, is it not? We can see the Savior in this at his baptism. In Matthew chapter number 3, when John the Baptist baptized the Lord Jesus Christ, it says this, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee. Comest thou to me? Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a buzzard. Not so. Descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And a voice from heaven could be heard saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The dove is a symbol of peace and harmlessness. The dove speaks of good news. Do you know where the first place in your Bible where the word dove is used? Don't forget where you are, but go back to Genesis chapter number 8. You're going to find out where it's used the first time. What difference does it make? I'll tell you in just a moment. In Genesis chapter number 8, verses 6 through 11... Genesis chapter 8, verses 6 through 11. It came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah, and this has to do with the flood in Noah's day, Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. A tremendous flood had taken place. He sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. And he sent forth a dove, and that's the first place you find it mentioned in your Bible, He sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto the hem, unto the ark. For the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her unto him into the ark. And he stayed yet seven days more, and then sent the dove out again. And the dove came in the into him in the evening and lo in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off so Noah knew the waters were abated from off the earth the dove brought a message that judgment is past judgment is past why is that so important because of a little thing called hermeneutics hermeneutics has to do with the rules that govern interpretation. If you're going to take your Bible seriously and really study it to find out what does this word say and what do these words mean and and what's the, the thing behind, what's the context speaking of, it's called hermeneutics. And one of the rules of hermeneutics is the rule of first mention. If you'll find in your Bible how a word is used for the very first time it will give you a pretty good clue as to how it's going to be used throughout the rest of the scripture. The first mention of the dove 
that dove came to announce judgment is past. And the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when he died and paid our sin debt on the cross said it's finished. Judgment had come to pass. The dove is a symbol of peace and harmlessness. The story of the Lord Jesus Christ is good news. That dove was good news to Jonah, to Noah, pardon me. But the, the, the story of Christ is good news to us. The dove speaks of poverty, and I, I cannot take the time to, to run these. I can give you the reference. Doves were sacrificed because of a poverty situation. They were sacrificed in Leviticus chapter 5, verse 7, and in Leviticus chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. When people could not afford a lamb, the law provided that they could offer a dove in place of the lamb. In other words, that dove always represented poverty. Jesus Christ was born in poverty. And we've preached about that rather recently. Another thing about doves is they have no gall. They may have to go to a surgeon, sometimes for surgery, but gallbladder is not one of them. A dove has no gall. A dove has no particular sac in its being that accumulates the poisons of the body. Neither is there any gall with the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything about Jesus Christ is absolute perfection. Absolute perfection. Christ is spoken of even in the name that the mother gave to her son Jonah. His name means dove. And I'm here to tell you we have the dove of glory in the Lord Jesus Christ. The father's name was Amittai. What does Amittai mean? It means truth. That's what the word means. That's the definition of it. Jesus Christ personified that when he said in John 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now let's proceed rather quickly. Jonah's call. Jonah's call. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Whenever you read that term, the word of the Lord, there are three different areas you need to think about. Number one, the incarnate word. The incar- what is the incarnate word? It is the word becoming flesh. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And in verse 14, John 1, 14 says, And the Word became flesh. The Word of God became flesh. Jesus Christ is the Word of God in the flesh. He is the spoken Word. In Jonah 1, 1, that Word the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying in the New Testament, it's the Logos. It is the spoken word of God. And Jesus Christ is not only the incarnate word and the spoken word, he is the written word. He gives us and is the scriptures. All are equally infallible. 
God will never tell a man to do anything contrary to his blessed word. And God speaks today only, only, only through his written word. God in the Old Testament spoke audibly. The word of the Lord came unto Jonah. The word of the Lord came unto Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came unto Noah. The word of the Lord came unto... They actually heard the word of God. But dear friends, God has chosen for his own pleasure not to speak audibly. He can, but he does not. He speaks through his word. That's why you need to buy you a Bible and read it and study it because the Bible is the word of God. You won't learn a thing listening to ABC and NBC and all the rest of the peon stations. If you really want to get your head straight, get in the Bible. Read your Bible. It's God's blessed word. And it's the most difficult book to get some people to read, isn't it? Or not to be that way. He says to Jonah, arise, arise. Jonah was at ease while the world was going to hell. In Romans chapter 13, I just will quickly read that for your hearing to conserve time. In Romans 13, verses 12 and 13 following, the Bible says, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to what? Here comes the deadhead part again. To awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let's put on the armor of light. Let's walk honestly in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, in chambering, in wantonness, not in strife and envying. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. We're running out of time. For those things are actually really going on today in such a broad manner as some of us have never seen before. Arise. Only a small, and I could hold this one back, but I think it needs to be said. Only a small percentage of the church today is interested in missions. Interested in supporting missions on the mission field. Now we all get caught up in the fact we're going to be doing some remodeling in our church here. And it's costing thousands and thousands of dollars. And different, that's important. But there's something more important than that. And that is when men and women surrender their lives to go to a mission field to preach the gospel. For the home church to stand behind them and support them. That's important. He says not only arise, but go. (laughs) Go to Nineveh. This is our commission. Christ said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every living creature. Nineveh was the capital of the government of Assyria. It wasn't a little podunk town. It was a huge metropolitan area. 
It was the capital of Assyria, much likened unto the conglomerate of cities that make up New York. thing that's difficult about New York, once you get into it, you can't get out of it. Everything's New York. It's just New York. It's New York. I'm about to believe that of Tyler, Texas, based on the automobiles we have running on our streets. Very quickly, look at the message. Again in Jonah, verse number 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Before he died, John R. Rice, I had the privilege of hearing him, and it was a privilege. John R. Rice was a very gifted man. His theology was terrible in some areas, but we won't get into that. But he loved Souls. He, he loved to talk about talking to people about Christ. Souls coming to know the Lord as Savior. And he said, you know, I was sitting in a, in a motel room and I'd gotten a copy of the paper. And I was looking through it and they had a little cartoon section on the, in, in the paper. Like the papers used to have. And he said, I sat there and he said, you know, I began to chuckle. I, I was in Fort Worth, Texas when I heard him say it. I was in that church when I heard him say it, he said, I began to chuckle. And all of a sudden, he said, it, it just stifled up within me. And I thought, here I am, a man of God, called to preach the gospel to every living soul, and I'm laughing over a cartoon in the newspaper. I wonder if we take it seriously, dear friend, that the only gospel the world will ever hear is the gospel that we give them out today. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 3 and 4. Well, we'll omit that right now. It was a message of judgment. What does it say? Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come down. That's important. Grace comes down, wickedness goes up. Cry against it. And it was a warning to repent. A warning to repent. Forty days, forty days, and none of us shall be destroyed. I'll have to conclude with this thought. Forty, the number forty. In Hebrew, numbers are very important. The number seven is very important. The number three is very important. The number five is very important. The number 40 is very important. It is the number of trial. It puts us on trial so that God can see what, whether we're faithful or not. And whether we're standing for him or not. Or whether we're just becoming backsliders and getting cold and indifferent. It's a period of time. For instance, Israel was tested in the wilderness. How long? Forty years. Forty years. Israel was tested while Moses was on Mount Sinai talking to the Lord. How long was he up there? Forty days. How long was Christ tempted in the wilderness wanderings? He went without bread and water 40 days and 40 nights. It's always 40. 40 days and 40 nights. 
when the flood started, how long did the water come down from heaven? Came down for 40 days and 40 nights. I believe with all of my heart, and I conclude with this, we're living in trial times. And you think it's bad now. You, you don't know how much worse it can get real quick. Have no idea. But God has given us an opportunity to say, Lord, I'm sorry because I've been cold and I've been indifferent and I haven't lived for you like I ought to and I put my church last and I did this and Lord, I'm sorry. But there's no, no heartbrokenness over that anymore. The biggest heartbreak we hear about is I came within one member of winning the lottery. Come on. I mean, you may be a Baptist. It doesn't hurt you say amen or say oh me. We're in trouble. We're in real trouble. You think $5 a gallon for you? You think that's the, You ain't seen nothing yet. God's giving us an opportunity to get right as Nineveh got right with the Lord. And Nineveh was spared the judgment of God. This is all introductory. You've been very kind. It's not easy to listen to introductory material, but it's necessary as we proceed our study in the book of Jonah, the gospel of Jonah. Let's stand, please, for prayer.